What is the center of the universe? Well, this is a question that perplexed uh, people for thousands of years. In the 4th century B.C., it was proposed that the earth was the center of the universe, the sun, the moon, the planets, all rotating around the earth. In the 16th century, you'll remember Nicholas Copernicus suggested that the sun was actually the center of the universe. The earth was rotating around it. In the early 20th century, scientists discovered other galaxies and cosmological models emerged that suggested there was no actual center of the universe. It's an interesting question to think about, particularly when you look at how our views have changed as knowledge has increased. But it brings us to a question that's more personal, a question that's more pressing in our own lives, and that is, what is the center of your universe? What is it that your life revolves around? What's the driving force of your life? I want to encourage you to think about those questions this morning as we take a look at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. I invite you to turn to page 1044 if you don't have a Bible and, and follow along as we look at that text. In this text, Paul is teaching that believers should let all of life revolve around Christ. Believers should let all of life revolve around Christ. He gives two ways to do this. In verse 1, we see that Paul begins with the word so or therefore. And this connects what Paul's about to say with what he's already said. If you go back in chapter 2 of Colossians, looking at verses 20 through 23, Paul taught the Colossians that following harsh rules of self-denial, uh, ascetic rules, we talked about this last week, that, that trying to follow all these rules wouldn't really curb the fleshly desires. In other words, following all these rules that, that, that this particular teacher might require or that that church might require, following all of those rules isn't going to bring genuine transformation in your life. So in today's passage, Paul suggests that the cure for the sinful passions of our soul is found in our union or our connection with Christ. He says, if you've been raised with Christ, and this is pointing to the fact that these believers had been given resurrection life. In Ephesians 2 verses 4 through 6, Paul said, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. While we still live in this earthly body, we have been given a new kind of life if we are in Christ, a resurrection life. This means that we live eternally. Though our body will one day die, our spirit will live. Our hope in subduing the flesh isn't found in our earthly strength, but our hope in subduing the flesh is found in the spiritual resources that are available to us in our union with Christ. The fact that we've been given resurrection life. Paul says that if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. Set your desires on heavenly things, on higher affections. When a Christian asks, what should be the direction of my life? Well, this is it. Set your life toward knowing the Lord and make knowing Him and, and growing in Him the greatest desire 
of your life. May your attitudes, your interests, your ambitions, your longings, may all of these be shaped by Christ. The verb seek is in the present tense, and it's a command. This suggests that Paul expects the Colossians to keep on seeking heavenly things. He's not urging this sort of uh, one and then you're done kind of an action. No, this is an ongoing way of life. Day in and day out, you are to seek heavenly things. Then Paul reminds the Colossians that Christ is at the right hand of God. In light of the fact that some of the false teachers, we see this earlier in Colossians, had been urging Colossian believers to worship the angels. In light of that, Paul says you don't worship angels, you don't worship saints, you don't worship anything at all. That's a person or some other spiritual being. You worship the Lord Jesus. Paul says he is seated at the right hand of God. You need no other mediator. We don't need a human mediator to be made right with God the Father. We don't need an angel to be made right with God the Father. The only mediator we need, Christ reminds us, is the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Father. He is the only mediator we need. And Paul brings this out in this passage to remind the Colossians, don't look to angels, don't look to saints or any other mediator. Look to Christ alone. Christ alone, he's enough. From verse 1, how do you center your life on things above? Well, set your desires on heavenly things. Set your desires on heavenly things. This means that we ask the Lord to shape our longings, to give us a hunger to to know Him, to, to a hunger to, to grow in Him. Now, when I was a freshman in high school, I can remember I couldn't wait to drive. Some of my friends had their driver's license. And what I did because of my eagerness to drive was really not smart at all. But I started counting down the days until my 16th birthday. Obviously, one of the ways to make something take a long, long time is to focus on it every single day. And so beginning this countdown at 500 and something days, slowly, ever so slowly, I finally turned 16. Well, in the meantime, because I wanted to drive, I studied that boring little driver handbook they give you. I practiced driving. I practiced parallel parking. And the day finally arrived and I passed the test. I had my driver's license and I was thrilled. I can remember the first time I took my truck Drove all by myself. I felt so excited. Now there's a picture of what it means to set your affections on or your desires on on something. I set my desires on getting a driver's license. I focused on that and I did what it took to achieve that goal. But how wonderful, friends, when we set our affections on knowing Christ when our heart's desire is to be close to him and to know him and to love him. And and this hunger to know the Lord Jesus drives all of life. How incredible that is. So we ask the Lord to shape our affections, to shape our longings, to give us the hunger to know him. How, How do we live this out practically? Well, first, ask yourself, what has my heart? What has my heart? What do you think about? What do you talk about? What occupies your spare time? 
What do you pour your energy into? These kinds of questions can give us a glimpse into what the desires of our heart really are. So ask the Lord to search your heart as you think about these questions. What is it that has my heart? Next, ask the Lord to give you a deep longing for him. Ask him to, to give you a deep longing for him. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 42, 1, as the deer longs for flowing streams, so I long for you. You see, the psalmist longed to know the Lord and to walk with the Lord. And so we should have that kind of a longing. We should turn a, a scripture like that into a prayer. God, as a deer longs for flowing streams, Lord, let my heart long for you. Let me want to know you like that, dear Lord. Next, focus on heavenly things. If you're interested in getting a new car, you probably spend some time reading about this car or that car, reading consumer reports, reading reviews. You focus on figuring all these things out before you actually buy a car. Well, if you want to have a heart that longs for Christ, that really, really wants to know Christ, that's where you place your focus. You place your focus on the things that will help you know him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see this sense in which we long to walk in his ways. We long to know him. That's what, that's what must be the desire of our heart. That's what Paul is saying. So you need to read the Bible daily. You need to pray daily. You, you need to, to memorize scripture. You need to be in worship and in Bible study with fellow believers. You see, when we get into the word of God and we emphasize and prioritize these kinds of things in our lives, the spirit of God takes the word of God and he begins to shape our longings. And we begin to have a hunger. It's a little bit like this. Let's say that you've got a bag of, of Hershey's Kisses laying on the counter unopened. Well, you can walk by that bag probably for weeks on end, maybe. But open the bag and eat just one. No, you, you won't do that. You, you're more than likely, there's a few of you who are incredibly self-controlled. You open the bag and you eat one and you think, you know what? One more at least. And I'll stop there. Or at least it'd be best to stop it too, right? But the word of God is like that. The things of God are like that. When you, when you begin to, to get a hold of the word, you want more. The, the spirit shapes your heart and the spirit gives you a longing to say, you know what, this is not enough. One's not enough. Let me go deeper. Let me get to know him more. So we've seen that to center your life on, on things above, you must first set your desires on heavenly things. What else will help us as we seek to make all of life revolve around Christ? Well, look, let's look in verse two. Paul gives a second command. He says, set your minds on things above. Of course, this is very similar to what Paul has already said, but it's not exactly the same. In verse one, Paul's focus was on the people's desires and their longings. But in verse 2, Paul's addressing the people's thoughts, their way of thinking. He's answering the questions, the question, what should Christians think about? What should Christians dwell on? And the answer is the believers should focus, they should think about heavenly things. 
In this way, the priorities of God are meant to shape the thinking of the believer. The Christian should be preoccupied not with the things of this world, but with the ways and the priorities of God. When Paul says not on earthly things in verse 2, he isn't suggesting that Christians withdraw from life, that, that they pull away from the world as some religious groups have done and sort of just kind of make their own colony or something. Paul isn't suggesting that. He isn't suggesting that you've got to go live in a monastery somewhere and live a contemplative life. And the verses that follow in Colossians will make these things that I've just said clear. But what Paul is suggesting is that believers must be careful not to lose sight of what is ultimate. It's easy to lose sight of heavenly things in the midst of daily life. The the electric bill has to be paid. There's that parent-teacher conference coming up. The car's in the shop. When it rained, you noticed a, a wet spot in the ceiling in the hallway. Your coworkers driving you crazy, and the list could go on. The list could go on. Paul is saying that in the midst of all of these kinds of concerns, they cannot and must not steal our focus from what matters most. Our focus and our thoughts should be drawn to the Lord should be drawn to to his word and to his ways. One author said this, the Christian will see everything in the light and against the background of eternity. He will no longer live as if this world is all that mattered. He will see this world against the backdrop of eternity. So we've seen that Paul first urged the Colossians to set their desires on heavenly things. In verse two, he admonishes believers, set your mind on heavenly things. Set your mind on heavenly things. Now, many people today or, or businesses will use vision boards. Uh, you, you put up a magnetic board or a bulletin board and, and you, you put pictures up there of, of things that matter, of things that you hope to achieve. And these vision boards are meant to serve as a visual reminder of what you want to accomplish, of your mission or, or of your goal. Somebody might put a picture of a dream house or a dream trip or a business might put a a picture that represents a dream sales goal. So a vision board causes you to think and to focus, to be reminded of what your goals are. Similarly, in the Christian life, we have to constantly focus on things, not like houses or trips or things like that, but we have to constantly focus on the things of God. We have to constantly think about the things of God. We concentrate on spiritual values and things eternal. We, 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 we keep these things in front of us so that we dwell on them. So how do we live this out? Well, first ask yourself this question. What do you spend time thinking about? What do you spend time thinking about? Answering this question can help you answer where you're at spiritually. If your thoughts are seldom on God, If your thoughts are seldom on the word of God, probably you aren't letting your life revolve around the Lord Jesus more and more. So think about your thinking. What dominates your thinking? Next, don't let the distractions of the world steal your focus. Don't let the distractions of the world steal your focus. The world will lure you away with the flashy, with the urgent, with endless distractions. But don't Set your mind on these things, whether chasing after a good time or chasing after more money, more money or or more toys or whatever other distraction the world may offer. Yes, the things of the world will steal 
our attention from Christ if we aren't intentional, if we aren't careful. Next, don't allow fear and worry to grip your thinking. Don't allow fear and worry to grip your thinking. Living in a broken world, a world that's been messed up by sin is is scary. Yet the Lord reminds us that we're in his hands. In Matthew 6, 34, Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry. And in the surrounding verses, he assured believers that he would take care of them, that our lives are are his. And because of that, he says, "Seek, seek me, seek spiritual things, and then trust me. Jesus is saying in Matthew 6, you need not worry. This passage in Colossians challenges us to examine our thinking. If we're allowing our thoughts to be consumed by fear and allowing our thoughts to be consumed by worry, we need to make a change. If you're a worrier, and there are quite a few of us, then ask the Lord to help you change. Ask the Lord to help you trust Him to help you change your thinking. Memorize some verses that address worry. I've I've given you some there in the bulletin. Memorize these verses. And and when worry and fear begin to to grip you, perhaps begin to paralyze you, then, then remind yourself, oh, the Lord said, do not worry. The apostle Paul said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Remind yourself of these truths. You're in the hands of God if you're a Christian. You need not fear. You need not live in worry. Memorize these verses and pray them. God, help me to trust you. Help me to seek you first. Help me not to worry. Use these verses to guide you in your prayers. Next, think on the truths of God. Think on the truths of God. It's important to think on God's word and God's ways. One great way to do this is by a regular plan of reading the Bible. And I don't mean you just open the Bible and say, okay, I'm going to open up and just wherever I open it, I'm going to read that. No, a plan of, of systematically reading and taking in Scripture where you're actually gaining not just a verse or two here or there, but you're gaining an understanding of all of the Word of God. So if, if you're new to this, I wouldn't recommend that you open in Genesis and start reading. There's, there's, some, there's some stuff in the Old Testament that's pretty hard to digest. But it's not a bad idea at all to open up to the New Testament and start reading. Start reading in Matthew. And as you become familiar with, with the teachings of Jesus more and more, you'll, you'll come back to the Old Testament. You'll want to know the rich and deep and beautiful truths about God that are there in the Old Testament. But if you're new to this, just open up in the book of Matthew. Start reading. Open up in the book of Mark, the book of Luke, the book of John, any of those gospels. Begin to read. Read a section each day or a chapter each day. And allow the Word of God to begin to shape your thinking, to shape your affections. You must be in the Word because this is what happens. When you're in the Word, God begins to renew your mind Paul talked about it in Romans chapter 12. He begins to shape the way you think. And brothers and sisters, our thinking is broken because of the effects of sin. We need the way we think to be affected by the word of God. How do we do that? Get in the word. And the word will get into you. And the spirit will use the word to shape you. Next, let the thrill of heaven. Let the thrill of heaven stir your thinking. 
Let the thrill of heaven stir your thinking. Paul reminded the Colossians, Christ is going to return. This world with all of its misery and its suffering is not the end of the story for the believer. If you're in Christ, all things are going to be made right. There'll be no more broken hearts, no more broken bodies, no more death. So in the midst of these hard days, friends, when when the days are long and the nights are long, remind yourself a better day is coming. There's a better day ahead. I don't know what what all is going to happen here. I don't know how everything's going to play out here. But I know, I know what's ahead. Oh, stir your thoughts with the, the reality of what is ahead, of the joys of heaven. Let them stir your hearts. We've seen that to let all of life revolve around Christ, we must first set our desires on heavenly things. Second, we saw that we must set our mind on heavenly things. Well, in verses 3 and 4, Paul gives three reasons for letting all of life revolve around Christ. First, he draws attention to the Colossians' past. They had died. Paul said, you died. Now, of course, he doesn't mean that they physically had died. Obviously, they're still alive. But what had happened is when they turned to Christ, the person they used to be, before they knew Jesus, that person was dead. No longer alive. The old nature isn't merely rehabilitated or reformed. It is put to death. This isn't putting on makeup to cover up a blemish. This is a brand new heart and who you used to be before you came to Christ dead. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, every person, every single one of us is born in sin. We are sinful by nature. We're sinful by choice. And this sin puts enmity between us and God because God is holy. He can't accept our sin. People all throughout time have tried different ways to bridge the gap between a God who's holy and between the people who are sinful. We try all kinds of things. We think, well, hey, if I go to church enough, maybe that'll, maybe that'll bridge the gap. Maybe if I'll be good enough, that'll bridge the gap. If I'll do this religious ceremony or that religious ceremony, that'll bridge the gap. But friends, what we see from Scripture is that none of those things can bridge the gap. There is only one way that the gap is bridged. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God sent his own son to come and to die on a cross that our sins, wicked as they are before a God who is holy, might be forgiven. And that when we call out to Christ in faith and we say to God, I know that I've sinned and I believe that your son came to this earth and died on a cross, that he was buried and that he came back to life. When we call out to God and we say to him, forgive me, I believe in Jesus and I want to follow him. The scriptures say that God saves you. The gap has been bridged. You don't have to be in church. You don't have to do good things. Of course, you'll want to do those things if you truly know Christ, but none of those things save you. Friends, the only hope you have of being made right with the God who's holy is the blood of the Lord Jesus. That's all. Nothing else. 
And Paul says to these believers in Colossians, you died. When you trusted Christ, who you used to be, died. And the blood of Christ covered you and changed you, transformed you. So the first reason they should make all of life revolve around Christ is because they've died with him. Next, Paul addresses the present condition of these believers. Paul says their lives are hidden with Christ in God. And this is Paul's second reason for urging these believers to to, to make their lives about Jesus. They have believed in Christ. This was the present reality of their lives. The fact that their lives were hidden in Christ means that this reality was understood by faith. Their relationship with God was understood by faith. Until the Christian dies or the Lord Jesus returns, our walk with Christ is a walk by faith. It's not something that can be seen in a sense. In that sense, it is, it is hidden. It's a hidden truth, a secret reality. Next, Paul addresses the future condition of these Colossians. In verse 4, Paul reminds the Colossians that Christ is the source of their life. After all, Jesus said in John 4, 14, that he is the source of living water, that is, of eternal life. Then Paul reminds the Colossians that Jesus will return, that he will come again. And when he does, these Colossian believers will return with him in glory. So this is Paul's third reason for urging the Colossians to make all of life revolve around Jesus. These believers would experience the fullness of God's kingdom. They'll know the thrill and the joy of heaven firsthand. Notice that what was hidden in verse 3 is now made known. When Christ returns, you'll come back with him. What What was hidden, what was a walk by faith is now made sight. It's now plainly known. It's now disclosed. Oh, this is what the future holds, friends. Our trust And our walk in faith will one day be right out in the open. It won't be a walk of faith anymore. We'll see him face to face. How amazing will that day be? How incredible will it be? And so Paul says, because these things are true, because Christ has worked in your heart in the past, he saved you because you're hidden with him now. And because one day you will see him and be with him face to face. Make your life revolve around Christ now. Imagine that you're driving home after running a few errands. And as you near your home, you you notice smoke. As you get closer, you see that there's a fire somewhere in the back of your house. What, What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't pick up your phone and begin perusing Insta or Facebook. No, you call 911. You you call a loved one. You might consider what you could safely save out of your house. You're serious about saving your home and all that you can for the next several hours. Saving your house is going to be the driving force of your life. Now, friends, I know Your house isn't on fire this morning. But what if we lived with the same kind of laser focus on Christ in our day-to-day lives that we would have in that moment if our homes were on fire? What if we ruthlessly guarded our walk with Christ? What if we made time for him and we kept our focus on him? Imagine how Christ would shape us. 
Imagine what peace we could experience in him. How he would use us for his glory. How he would use us to touch the lives of others. How he might reconcile broken relationships. How he might bring new life. Oh, imagine what could be if our lives were centered on him. So brothers and sisters, let all of life revolve around the Lord Jesus Christ. Let the driving force of your life be to know him more. Do you need the Lord to change the longings and the desires of your heart? Maybe your heart really is chasing after something else. If so, ask the Lord Jesus to give you a hunger to know him more. That's the kind of prayer he delights to answer. Does your thinking need to change? Do you spend all your time dwelling on on other things or or in worry and fear? Does your thinking need to change? Then ask the Lord to renew your mind. Get into his word and ask him to, to shape your thinking. Maybe the overall direction of your life needs to change. Then ask the Lord to help you make all of life revolve around him. He will shape your longings. He will shape your your thinking. He will help you change. And if you're here today and you don't yet know the Lord Jesus, the reality is that if you do not know the Lord and you do not turn to him in faith, one day you will stand before God and it will be the most terrifying day you can imagine because you will stand before the judgment throne of a God who is absolutely holy. And you may say to that God, hey, I I went to church. You may say to that God, hey, I, I did a lot of good things. God, I knew a lot of people who were a lot worse than me. And friends, I want you to know that on that day, if you try to hold up your list to God of how good you've been, this is what the Lord will say to you. His word makes it clear. He will say to you, depart from me. I never knew you. And you will be separated from God for all eternity in a terrible place called hell. But it does not have to be that way. It need not be that way because you're here today. Because the Lord in his providence has brought you here. And you've heard the word of God. You've heard that, he, that you can be saved. So today, why wouldn't you turn to the Lord Jesus in faith? Why wouldn't you call out to him and say, God, I know that I've sinned. I want to follow you. The Bible says that if you call out to him in that way and you mean it, he'll save you. The blood of Christ covers your sin. Christ's perfect life that he lived here on earth. Well, that gets credited to your account. And then when God looks down and looks at you, even though you've sinned and messed up just like I have, he sees the perfect life that his son lived. And he says, you know what? You're covered by my son. Your sins have been wiped away. Come in. Enjoy the wonders and the thrill of eternity. How could you turn away from that? Let's pray together.